Hello there, and welcome back to How to Live the Podcast. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Dadon, and it is our podcast's first birthday. Woohoo! Happy birthday, How to Live the Podcast. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it's been a year already. I feel like we've learned so many things. So many things. And thank you to all of you for being here with us and listening for an entire year. Massive. I feel like we've grown, we've cried, we've laughed, we've learned. We've loved. I mean, there's so much that I feel like we've taken in this first year and we hope you guys have too. Jess, what is one thing that really stands out to you that you have learned from this first of many, many years of How to Live the Podcast? Mm, I've learned so many things, but I think in terms of business, something that's been really cool to learn, and we've heard it from a few people, but one person that really stands out to me is Janine Alice. And the way she just talked about how the key to success is having perseverance. And, you know, the difference between an entrepreneur and someone really successful is that an entrepreneur, you know, is just like always looking at the next shiny thing, always coming up with a lot of ideas. But in order to really have a good crack at it, you kind of need a fail and pivot and cry and laugh and then see it through in order to be successful. And that really resonates because I feel like things on our journey have not been easy, but one thing we have done is persevere. And I always say that I think it comes down to our stubbornness, but I really do think that it really benefits you in business. So that's been cool to hear from a lot of people. Yeah, that is really cool. And I feel like we have heard that kind of time and time again. And like, I feel like we went into this year thinking, all right, there are these like big secrets that nobody tells you then those are like how people succeed and then when you have person after person who you perceive as so successful just be like just hang in there girls keep chipping away at it I feel like it's a little bit like oh I was hoping you would just like hand me a secret map but also I feel like it's kind of like oh I can do that. Yeah, exactly. Like I just have to hang out here and like stand my ground. I know how to do that. Yeah, I got this. I feel like, oh, there are so many things, but something that really stands out to me is that I feel like at the end of the day, what really, really matters to pretty much everybody that we've sat down with is not this crazy thing that I've built. I feel like what they really want to talk to us about is the connections they've created and the impact that they've had and the way that they've bettered people's lives and the families that they've created. I feel like that, you know, it's really the simple things that matter. And it's actually interesting. Renan, my boyfriend at the moment, is reading Ariana Huffington's book, Thrive. Is he your boyfriend at the moment or is he reading Ariana Huffington's Thrive at the moment? Ha ha ha. Sorry. He, both of those things. He is my boyfriend at the moment and he is also reading Thrive at the moment. He was telling me that Ariana talks about how in people's eulogies, they never talk about like, oh, this person was so successful. And in fact, even in Steve Jobs's eulogy, they talked about what a great friend he was and what kind of a dad he was and that those kind of personal impacts that we have on people are really what matters most in life. Yeah, that's such a cool thing to look at. I also think like if I'm thinking about the last 12 months, I feel like this podcast 
has really given me so much like on a personal level. I feel like it's really boosted my confidence in myself and feeling like my opinions are valid because all of our opinions are valid. I remember thinking back to when we were doing the first episode and I was like, I'm so dumb. I don't want to be in people's ears. What value do I have to add to people? And then, you know, even last night I was like at this wedding and people coming up to me and telling me how much they love the podcast and how like they thought it was so great, how honest we were on here. And like, you know, that's all it is. Like people just want to relate to you on a personal level. And I think we all have so much to give. And that's just been a really great, excellent lesson for me to learn where I am in my life. Mm, I think it's been really therapeutic as well for us to just be totally honest. Like we've had some pretty like personal moments here on this podcast where we both end up crying. And I think it's been a really amazing way to push ourselves to evolve and grow. So we hope that you've also evolved and grown through this podcast. And if there are more certain topics that you want us to cover, or there are specific guests that you would love to hear us have on, we make this podcast for ourselves and we make it for you guys as well. So please get in touch. You know, you can always find us on how to live the podcast on our Facebook group. Keep that dialogue coming at us. And also just like, thank you muchly for tuning in. How cool is that? We do not take that lightly. And we know that you could be listening to anything else on your podcast app, but you choose to listen to us. And that's pretty freaking awesome. And so thank you very, very much for that. We're really excited because next week, How to Live X Vamp, the podcast, is kicking off. It sure is. We are partnering with Virgin Australia Melbourne Fashion Festival, which is taking place in Melbourne next week. We are going to be recording two episodes per day. They are going to be right here in this very podcast app, kicking off Tuesday morning when you wake up with an episode by yours truly. And from then on, they will be twice a day from Wednesday the 11th until Sunday the 15th of March. Get ready to hear these voices in your ears a whole lot more. Is that just crazy? Like, let's take a moment to be like, whoa, we've really bitten off a lot here. Like we're doing 12 episodes in six days or something. It's going to be absolute madness. I'm already terrified. Like if you can't hear my teeth are chattering, I'm so scared. Yeah, like if for no other reason, tune in to see if we actually pull off this amazing feat. There are going to be bags under our eyes down to the floor by the end. Lucky it's a podcast. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So we are doing an amazing live podcast episode from the VIP room at the festival. And that is with one of our favorite people ever. It is with the incredible Catherine Wills, the founder of Sam's Beast. We have had her on this podcast before, and it was one of our most incredible, most loved episodes. So by popular demand, we are going to be recording with Kath live on the Saturday. You can get tickets. Please, please come. We want to see you guys there. We would love you to experience this podcast up close and personal. And we want to get to chat to you in person and hear what you've really been loving. So we're going to chuck the link in the show notes to the VAMP website where you'll be able to purchase tickets. They're just 10 bucks. So it's super cheap and we would love it for you to come down. They are super limited. And then throughout the rest of the week, we're going to have some amazing people on this podcast. We're going to have Elise Tran from The Daily Edited is also coming on back by popular demand. We have 
Glynis Trailnash, the fashion editor of The Australian. We have stylists, designers, entrepreneurs, and so much more. So join our Facebook group as well, How to Live the Podcast, because that's where all fun things happen. We love seeing you on there, and we're going to be talking a lot throughout the week about things we're seeing at Fashion Week and giving lots of tips and tricks. So that's going to be cool. So without further ado, today we have on the podcast... Gretel Colleen. Oh my goodness. This is pretty amazing. Gretel, you may know as an author. You might know her as a TV presenter or a comedian. She's quite funny, you guys. And she was also the former host of Big Brother Australia for many, many years. She is funny. She had us in hysterics a lot. We chat to her about what it was like being a female comedian when there weren't many, which was super interesting to hear about. She left uni after six weeks to pursue creativity and why why success doesn't just happen overnight. Here is Gretel Colleen. So we usually like to start with a bit of a fun question. So I guess we thought we'd ask you, what is the craziest day in your career so far? I don't know. <laughs> it, it, or just it's a too, crazy day. You know, normality is pretty crazy anyway, isn't it? How can I even begin? I mean, where I live in the centre of Sydney, you know, that can just start crazily anyway. At the moment, we've got smoke everywhere, can't see anything. That's a pretty crazy start to the day. I, I have a view so I can see quite a way away. That's pretty freaky. And then I think being a comic and an artist, you notice what we do instinctively is notice the nuances of a day. So probably notice a lot more things than a normal person because our job is to look at real life and highlight things and then show them to people. Yes. Does that make sense? Like a stand-up totally. comic will say, oh, what about when you're walking down the street and everybody goes, oh, hey, yeah. yeah. That's true. But they didn't notice it themselves. Yes. So to me that's kind of impossible for me to no. answer that. Like the bland days are the memorable days. I feel like comics often talk about if you go to the Melbourne Comedy Festival, they'll be like, this is the best gig ever. I literally work seven till eight and then the rest of the time I'm just hanging out because that for comedians is working. Oh, like that's not a- really true. They're all nuts. You know, like... <laughs> It depends. It's the same as in fashion. There isn't one kind of person. But that one trait I think is really vital and really underestimated in our society is that an artist, whether it's music where you look at the emotions that other people are feeling and reflect those people, other people can't process their own, but a singer-songwriter perhaps can feel the same thing but digest it differently and present it. So a comic does the same. Visual artists, I mean, that's interesting. I paint myself and I actually don't think I have any talent whatsoever but it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it's fantastic. With comedy, you have to have some talent because otherwise... No everybody... one's laughing. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty obvious if no one's laughing whereas if no one gets art, it's like, oh, no, you just don't understand it. You're yes. not evolved enough. <laughs> it's so true. Like if I do a really crap painting, it's your fault if you don't yeah. get it. And I, that's fantastic. It's a great contrast to comedy. Oh, that's amazing. We should all just be artists. I love this. Yeah. I always say I'm terrible at art, but I should just start telling people I'm good at it. Well, I don't know. I mean, it takes years and years of acting training to be able to convince people you're <laughs> confident in how shit you are. But then, <laughs> but then the thing that happens is people think, oh, she must be really good. Yeah. But she's saying she's bad, but I'm not. I'm just really bad. <laughs> oh, so, so is that what you're doing now? 
I'm finishing a novel this week actually. Oh, I've cool. written a lot of books but I'm always doing other things. So I do television and keynote speaking and all that stuff and acting and things like that because they're all fun. It's a really nice balance with your brain because it's problem solving too, visual art. I mean, for me it is. Yeah, I, don't... I also absolutely love painting. It's like, Do you? Yeah, Have you got just... talent? No. She does. I'll say she does. Definitely. No, like I just love creating things with my hands. Yeah. Like, that's my happy place. I just want to be making something, doing something and focusing in on that. That is just so fun. And isn't it weird how you can obsess about it? I, I don't really do this with writing but with painting I'll just look at it and I think, Oh, it's not balanced there and like it's a real intellectual problem and then yeah. it'll be like you just stab it with a brush of white paint oh, there mm. we go it's fixed <laughs> you know that's a really nice contrast to writing which is particularly comedy a sentence in humor won't work just because it's got one too many syllables in it mm. and people don't realize it but it's the rhythm and the balance of it two people can say the exact same thing and one of them can be really funny and one of them won't yep. be and then that has always really baffled me like yeah. I don't understand why it works like that yeah it's like so nuanced you know like there's something like so little in there but it just makes such an impact yeah it's it's so true and so working in all those different mediums is really nice like doing the live stand-up that's like when you're using all your senses feeling the audience using the rhythm as we said and improvising written is a much bigger discipline and then the painting is I mean I hope my target market is rich people with poor eyesight (laughs) (laughs) so growing up we'd love to hear about what your hopes and dreams were before this incredible career that you've led I think I would have dreamt of having the career I've had it's by no means complete and I think the last few years as you know I've done a lot of things and they're all connected in the sense that they're communicating and expressing and usually humor-based except for the journalism, which is serious. But I think for all the travel that I've done, to have political perspectives, to laugh a lot, I actually found a piece of paper that I wrote when I grow up and what I want to do. And I think I wrote it when I was about 11. And it was to write, do funny voices, make people laugh. And I did do funny voices for a long time because I did those with voiceovers for like 17 years. I might have added the make people laugh one on the end of that. But I didn't think I had the permission to do that. Like lots of people don't. Lots of people feel they have to do a course to then be an actor or do a course to then be a comic. And I did law for six weeks, as you may or may not know. Six weeks? I thought it was six months. Not nailed it. And uh, <laughs> there. No, I thought I would find my people. I didn't really think about it. The options for girls in that time were not enormous. A lot of girls still don't pursue a vast array of things. Mm. You know, they still get channeled into stuff. So I think if I'd known then about the career that I have, I would think that is fantastic. But I've got the last probably 40% to really bring all the bits together. Mm-hmm. So basically I feel like I've been researching for my whole career. So you're, you're just over halfway. Yeah. I think it's really important to have stripes, you know, like you've earned stripes in life. And particularly if you want to have opinions about things, you know, I'm a social political commentator and also I want to have views. I hear a lot of people commenting on radio or journalists or whatever who haven't necessarily seen what some living circumstances are like here or internationally or know people of different socioeconomic groups. I think that's really important. So for me, that's what this feels like. It's legitimizing the voice Mm. because I feel privileged 
because some people are born with a lot of challenges, some people those challenges develop, some people are further past the start line rather than behind the start line. And I think it's important to use your voice to give other people a voice if you're in a position where you can. But I think it's also important not to be naive when you do that. I really like there how often when we start chatting to people, it's a lot about career, but you mentioned the laughing, the traveling. And I think that that says a lot about you in that it's more about a full life and less just about this one stream. You know, we can group it all together in one to create a beautiful picture. Yeah. But I think also, depending on the career, hopefully it is an expression of you. I mean, for some people I can see there's this massive distinction. They often describe their work as, oh, my job's boring or whatever. So it's fortunate if you can make a career out of being yourself. Totally. But it's very risky as well. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned, so when you were 11, you wrote down this dream that you had, which was pretty much the career that you ended up having. But you obviously decided to pursue law at one point instead of that. Why were you doubting that you could go and have this creative career? It wasn't even conceivable. Like it was unimaginable to even think of that path. I didn't know the world I lived in. There were no people who had jobs in the arts. Didn't know anyone like that. Didn't know anything about it, like nothing. So if you were like vaguely smart when I was at school, you did law or medicine if you're a girl. Those girls did teaching or nursing and then we were allowed to do law or medicine so everyone just hit those. It's funny that you say that because I actually feel like even when I was going to uni that all of the girls that did the best at school it was like if you've got good marks you go and do law and medicine that's totally. just the thing you do. I think people put so much pressure on themselves. It's kind of like if you can you should. You yeah. Know, like that's the attitude. Yeah. yeah like why would you want to do anything else if you can make a lot of money rather than really you know embracing people's individuality. But then six weeks into your law degree, what happened that made you go six weeks is all? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was very keen to move out of home. So I did that straight as soon as I finished school. So 17 or something, moved into Taylor Square, which is in Sydney. And that was a crazy time then in those days. It was just different. You know, it wasn't easy for people to be gay. It was a very gay area. The inner city was the draw card for people who didn't fit anywhere. So it was full of people who didn't sleep and people who partied and artists and whatever else. So I moved in to this little squeezy terrace house. It was $25 a week rent. Oh, living the dream. Living the dream. (laughs) And uh, I had an exam and I couldn't find the exam room. (laughs) And I thought, oh, that's a sign from God. So I left. That sounds like it was out of a movie, but like what was going on in your head right then? My parents are going to kill me. Well, no, because I didn't really think about that. Because I was academic, they had dreams, exactly as you were saying, that our society kind of really acknowledges certain more conservative achievements. I think many of the artists I know, and I say that in terms of any form, but particularly comics and writers and musicians, you're constantly problem solving. That's what you do, whether it's the dab of paint that you have to put on or how did that character walk in the door or how am I going to connect to this audience that already hates me because they're drunk or they vote differently to me or whatever else. I mean, you're always problem solving with all of your instincts, but our society at the moment holds certain careers to be higher than others. I think that's really inverted. Mm. I mean, fashion is a classic case. I mean, so many people in fashion have to be wonderful business people, but so intuitive and so brave. 
and artistic and collaborative in a lot of senses and sometimes you don't want to be collaborative because you want singular vision then you've got to get the investors you know the whole thing is really complex it's nothing like just getting a job Mm -hmm. so for me I've always just been pulled from my heart there's something that just draws me so I knew that doing law wasn't a thing but it wasn't like oh I won't do that I will do this I was just pulled and I still am. So there's no high planning and plotting. You know, when people say, where will you be in five years or ten years? I don't know. I also don't remember where I was five years ago. So the whole (laughs) thing's a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) We heard you say when you were talking about this on another podcast, it takes a lot of courage and strength to do what's not expected of you. Mm. And it feels like you kind of hesitated for a moment and you were like, "Mm, I'm going to do what's expected. And then you were like, no, nah, you like mustered the courage and you were like, no, nah, I'm going to go and do it my own Do you way. know, it wasn't courageous. There's a thing that I was reading, there's a difference between bravery and courage and this could be completely wrong. It's one of the problems with being a creative writer is that you make stuff up. So <laughs> this may or may not be correct but bravery was doing something that required fortitude but you didn't necessarily know it was going to cause you discomfort or pain whereas courage you know this is going to hurt or be difficult but you still do it. For me, I didn't even think about how hard the things were. It was simply I have to do this. So I dropped out of law, worked in the cafe in Taylor Square, went to Italy. I don't even know why I did that, chasing boys I think. (laughs) And then I came back and I did communications for a little while and when I was doing a poem there, which was very serious, but I was so shy. But anyway, I got up and performed this poem and people were laughing. At you or with you? Uh, With. Oh, good, good. good. I didn't know why because it was a serious poem, so it's a bit rude. (laughs) So I performed it and then, I don't know, it was just like, okay, I've gone through that door, now I'll go through to the next. But it wouldn't occur to me to study at NIDA or go to New York to do improv. It would never, I was too shy. Mm. So I was just doing little baby steps. But I love that you were letting your heart guide you. I think that that is kind of the same thing as having courage because people block that out, you know. People are kind of scared to just be guided. They're too busy thinking about what other people think Mm. and what other people are going to think of their choices. And by just listening to yourself and doing what was really calling you, you know, you were living your truth and that's courageous. But the inverse of it was that it was actually impossible not to. I don't know if you guys have experienced that. It was impossible not to because I think I've worked in an office for two days in my life. I mean, I filled in on radio stints and things like that and the longest was for two weeks. I really enjoyed it but that's not really a typical yes. nine to five because we're prepping a show and then I was hosting it. But it just doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't make sense. I can feel myself just feel like this sad little caged bird and I don't get it. I don't understand the value system and why are we caring about this? And someone told me, you know, how they had that hot desk business that was fashionable, which will no doubt go out of fashion. For what sure. was it? So one minute they'll say to you, oh, look, it's really great for people to feel safe in their environment and you have pictures of your kids and stuffed toys or whatever on your desk. And then the thing that came in after that was hot desking. Yeah. You move around, you're never Different really there, spaces. you don't have your own space. Yeah. I mean, it's without doubt budget related. Within one company, yeah. you're just like moving around every day. Yeah, so you oh. just turn We up. do that with our team, I'm afraid to tell you. Because we like it to be like fresh energy. So like they come and they sit in the same place every day and then we come in and we're like, God, let's change it up. Isn't it fun? And everyone's like, no. (laughs) We work at like a kitchen table type of vibe. Like we have a big dining table instead of desks because we want it to feel like a living room and feel casual. Yeah. 
funny. They don't like it. <laughs> no, because I think there's a downside that you've got to resettle yourself and you need to feel comfortable. You want to feel like you belong. But I can remember someone telling me they'd done that at their office and what the organisation had done to make everyone feel good was they'd put in these lockers like school lockers and given everyone a pencil case. I mean, that sounds I just <laughs> felt sick with pencil and a pen in how old are you? Like maybe if you were eight that would be really exciting. And I do love a bit of stationery myself. Yeah, is it Kiki K? Because then I'll take it. No, I don't think so. Someone told me for International Women's Day in their office all the women were given a manicure. Oh, like that? No. How bad oh, is oh, that? No, no, no. Tell us now. <laughs> we're going to go campaign outside their office. That's Isn't that awful. ridiculous? That's yeah, no, Talk about really tone deaf. And in that vein, we've actually been really wanting to speak to a female comedian for a very long time because we do feel like it's something that still, as an outsider, feels very male dominated. We just wanted to know, like, what does that feel like? Do you feel like audiences are harsher on you as a female? When I first started, I was fortunate because there was a wave of comics starting then, female comics, and I was lucky to be taken under their wing. But if the best comedy you're going to see now, the edgiest, most out there confronting brave and brilliant comedy comes from girls yeah without doubt there is nothing they won't talk about and it used to be that no men would be in the audience if you did an all-girls show men were just too intimidated to go but now you there's a huge number of men come they're wild nights a lot of the girls are really unique thinkers so when we first started it was really really hard because as you were saying the nuances of comedy of course if your audience already feels it's a bit odd to have you up there they're already uncomfortable for you and Mm. this is what it was like 30 40 years ago it sounds like forever but it is forever but when we were first doing that the girls were just trailblazers just doing brilliant stuff but the audiences weren't necessarily comfortable with it and if you look at a lineup an ordinary lineup is still probably three guys one girl approximately Mm. but the girls are just brilliant are they being offered the same opportunities more of them are but it's there's still an imbalance The fact that it's better than it was doesn't mean it's good enough. Mm. But, you know, if anybody gets a chance to go and see an all-girl lineup, they're fantastic. I was in Byron recently and I went and I saw like the best of the Sydney Comedy Fest, I think, and it was two women, two men. And I felt like the audience just wasn't being as receptive to the women. I feel like there is still something going on there where like guys are funny and women aren't. Like that's what it feels like people's perception is. We've got to be careful though to not think that all women are one woman. You know, it could have been those particular girls or their appearance or those particular guys. People are more familiar with having men telling them what to do even now. So there's a little bit of connecting that goes on there. Mm. But there is no one kind of universal woman. And there are a few girls I know performing up in Byron who are just dynamic because as a comic you want to hear things that you haven't thought of and there isn't a logical progression in your own mind so when other performers are doing that and taking you by surprise fashion is probably a similar thing where you think oh my goodness where did you get that idea from I mean I wish I'd been there at the thing because then I could say oh yeah it's because yeah they're just crap it's got nothing to do with the fact they're female sometimes it's the confidence you stand up there with Mm. what you're wearing what you reference 
there are a whole lot of secret little mm. signals that audiences pick up on. I find it a really funny industry. Like some of the other podcasts I listen to are also with mostly male comedians and they even talk about the way it's not funny when you're really fit. So, you know, there are guys that are like Seth Rogen and people like that. I've heard them say, I wanted to like get in shape and get really buff, but it's not funny yeah. watching someone really buff stand up there and make uh, these jokes. You need to be a bit true. chubby. It's weird. Because that telegraphs to an audience. So I was wondering with the girls that you're talking about, like if people don't know who they are and they're attractive, for example, that's harder initially for some audiences to process because they want to see you look funny. Like you're already really skinny or you've got your wacky glasses on or your crazy curly hair or whatever it is, some signal that says I'm funny. But if you're someone that people might perceive as attractive, it gets processed differently. So for the girls when we were first starting, many of them were young and attractive. Like that just doesn't say funny to anybody. Mm. In fact, in those days that didn't even say you were allowed to have an opinion because you were one or the other. If you were attractive, that's just what you were meant to do. And if you were smart, you were meant to look like some sort of gargoyle, you know, like in some ways we haven't come that far actually. Even the way you're introduced will set the tone. When we first performed, there'd be things like, and now here's a chick. And, you know, there'd be terrible things, you know, about sex acts that she'd allegedly done backstage in order to get on, you know, which no. was completely not true. But undermining the female was completely commonplace. It's such a cheap win though like just hearing you say like you know that's it's such, gross yeah and how was it for you then when that was happening like was it bothering you I never wanted to be a stand-up I was too shy I mean I know it seems odd to think that I was but I would pray before I went on stage that the ceiling would fall down and then I wouldn't have to go on <laughs> <laughs> there used to be this thing when we first started where if there were more people in the cast plus one in the audience, then you didn't have to go on. <laughs> I can remember sitting behind the curtain and thinking, oh, we're not going to go on, we're not going to go on, and then seeing someone arrive and going, oh, oh my God. damn, now we have to go on. What was your first big break? Did it come when you were a comedian? I don't really know what big breaks are either. I'm not very good at answering specific questions, <laughs> am I? Because I think people imagine that something enormous happens, but maybe for some people that does, but usually there's a lot of seed planting and carrying on. My philosophy is do things and you get braver and then that pushes your boundaries a little bit further and then that makes you more capable of the next challenge. So many people I know who have that big break that we talk about doubt themselves very much because the foundations aren't solid enough. It's so funny to hear you say that because looking at that from our perspective, I guess you don't really call it a big break unless you're in the media getting roles as you are on these midday shows and things. But if I look at it from our perspective in our business, so often we try this one thing and we think that it was just supposed to grow overnight and it was just supposed to happen and that would be our big break in quotation marks. And then it's funny that it just doesn't happen like that. No. And, and people tell you that it doesn't happen like that and you still don't understand that it doesn't happen like that until you just start building your blocks and creating that foundation. And it's a boring answer. You want it to be like, no, it's exciting and it's fun and it's this and it's that, but it's actually not. It's just like good old fashioned hard work. Yeah. I know of a couple of models who've walked into a shop, for example, oh, you should be a model. And then they go to the agency and then suddenly kapow. But it still doesn't mean that you have all the confidence that's required for an enduring 
career. And that's really underestimated, like for mental well-being and stability and for ongoing success, knowing that you've got those solid foundations and you've got friends in the business that you can rely on and communicate with. So internally you've got the foundations but you've also got them externally. As a person you need to have built those foundations to be ready and also for a business like so many times we'll just, oh, imagine if we went viral and blew up. And even capacity-wise, like we wouldn't have had enough shoes to sell. When you go through those motions and build it little by little, then you become prepared for the next stage. And I feel like we've had so many big breaks. It's kind of how you described it. It's just what's going to take you up to the next level, Mm. not what's going to skip you up 100 levels. And I think when you're just starting out, it can often feel like I'm never going to get there. And that's why we all just want to take that shortcut. And we all just want to be like, in six months time, I want to be this huge thing rather than planning it out. And in 30 years time, I want to be that thing. But what steps am I going to take today? Mm. And it really does happen. We started this blog almost eight years ago. And now we're getting to where we wanted to be in year two. But (laughs) because we stuck it out and we took it bit by bit, we're finally getting there. Mm. It seems like you having raised two kids as a single mum and also having all of these different jobs that you were working, it seems from the outside that you worked really hard. So is work the most important thing to you or do you have a kind of broader perspective on it? First of all, I think there should be a word in English for when you earn an income doing something that you really love because I do it anyway. You know, I just happen to make a living doing it. No, I think expressing who you are is a really vital part. That's the whole key to happiness, expressing who you are and that's the reason you're here as a unique individual. So I do that all the time. But I do that whether I'm catching up with friends for lunch or dinner or going for a walk or buying a piece of fruit. You know, it's about being who you are, not switching on and off between things, it's consistently being that person. So with the work I do, everything is work and everything is not work. So the lunch I had today, yeah, we're all talking about work and I'm saying, oh, you should talk to this person. They're saying, oh, yeah. So we're all connecting and in a business world, they probably call it networking, but we would never call it that. But it's work, but everybody's falling about laughing and carrying on. So it doesn't feel like work. So sometimes... We make up this word, which I do with my daughter because we imagine there'd be a German word for it, but there isn't, which is work that you actually enjoy doing. So we call it Gefunwerk. <laughs> uh, and just that you actually like it because people will say, oh, how was your weekend? Oh, good. I worked. Oh. But for me, uh-huh. no, I was doing television and then I was training this person. Yeah, like this is work for us. This is so fun. Exactly. You know? Such awesome advice. Find something you love so much that it won't feel like work. And it almost goes back to the, what we were talking about in the beginning is people need to let go of what's expected of them and doing these standard jobs. And if everyone can go out and turn their passions and their loves into their work, what do we call it? Gewerk fun. Gewerk fun. Or gefunwerk actually was what I said to you before. So we end off all of our interviews with quick fires. We know you've got a chuff off, but we'll just ask you them quickly. First one, did you have any singing lessons to go on The Masked Singer? No. I learnt watching YouTube singing exercises. I've seen those. Your voice is a classic way of expressing confidence. So there's a classic, suck it up and get on with it. Oh, seriously. Yeah. I wouldn't be that brave. I can't believe you learned on YouTube. That's awesome. Uh, How would your kids describe you? Depends on the day. (laughs) Probably the same as you describing your mum. They respect me, I think, but they would find little details that 
probably the same as any mother. Nag, bad cook, you know. <laughs> yeah, those things apply to our mum. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I would think of them first though. I'm like favourite person in the world and a nag and a bad cook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they would say. You have to ring them. Last question. So before we go on and do any public speaking or even sometimes podcast interviews, we have a song that we play to yeah. pump ourselves up. So we wanted to ask you, do you have any rituals you do before presenting? I used to get nervous before doing things and then I just couldn't function because I did so many things that were anxiety making. And so I always imagine I'm just standing firmly in my shoes, like I'm solid in my feet. I'm here. I know how to do this. And the more that you are yourself, like bringing it all right in and being who you are, just right inside yourself, then you can do anything. It's when you're trying to be something else that you can't. But if you sink in, just sit inside yourself and be yourself, then that's kind of the secret. I mean, sometimes I say a little prayer, like, no, help me to have fun, be fun, you know, that kind of thing. And sometimes I'll take three deep breaths, but usually it's just a bit chaotic. It's just vumph. Stand in your shoes, centre yourself and be you because when you're not being you, that's when you tip over, you wobble. I love that. That's awesome. the most meaningful quickfire answer we've ever gotten. Mm, oh, absolutely. I love it. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> that was the absolutely incredible Gretel Colleen. Wow, just love getting to chat to her. And real fun fact about me, so Big Brother didn't end up coming up in the conversation, but I actually went along to a Big Brother, you know, when like their housemates used to exit the house, they would have like an event, like this one was like at Frostbites and you would like go and you would like meet the people. Anyway, I ended up dating a Big Brother person for six months after I went to one of those meet and greets. I am not going to tell you who it was, but if you join How to Live, the podcast on Facebook, I might just tell you in the group there who it was. Oh my God. How can you not join? I'm (laughs) dying to join and I know who it is. (laughs) So if you did like this episode, please rate us five stars, leave us a review, share it with your friends and share a photo of you listening to the episode on your Instagram with us. We would love, love, love you to help us get the word out so more people can listen to this awesome, which we think, content. So next week on the podcast, you know we have something very special lined up for you. It is How to Live X Vamp, the podcast. Make sure you are subscribed to this here podcast to get those episodes delivered to you next week. We are going to be kicking things off with an in-conversation episode about Fashion Week and all our crazy experiences. And we've got a fun-filled week of content coming at you starting next Tuesday morning. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next week for a really, really big one. Mm-hmm.